What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode three of Draft Capital NFL, powered by Built Bar. As always, I'm your host, Mo Murphy, and I got my co-host with me, as always, my guy, Stuart Brooke. And Stu, what's going on, bro? Oh, man, just, you know, enjoying life and ready to talk quarterbacks. I mean, this is this is the highlight right here. This is, you know, this is what I love for talking quarterbacks. I love talking quarterbacks. Uh, yeah, so I, I've been waiting for this all week. Ever since we decided that's what we were going to do this week, I've been waiting. Yeah, and I mean, this is a special episode. Um, you're presenting your list of your top 10 quarterbacks. And yep. then we got a special guest coming on the show, Alec Elijah from Sports Talk 2319, college football slash NFL draft scout over there at Sports Talk 2319 under uh, Rashad Phillips. So he's going to be presenting his quarterback list too. So that's special, you know what I'm saying, that he was a, that he was okay with coming on this platform and letting us see it first. And we're going to break it down. We're going to talk a lot. This is a quarterback-centric show. This is what we're talking about. This is the bread and butter. I'm sure our, some of the rankings will change as we go on. But before we bring in Alec, Elijah from Sports Talk 2319, we'll be back to you right after this. And we are here. We got our special guest in the building, Alec Elijah from Sports Talk 2319. Alec, what's going on, bro? What is going on, Mo? What's going on, Stu? Thank you guys for having me, man. I appreciate appreciate the time for you guys. No problem. Talk oh, you know, these with y'all. Yeah, you know this was easy, bro. You know, uh, we linked last year uh, covering the draft, talking prospects on my show, Up in Flames. You know, it was easy to bring you on. I'm you know, let me let me bring the guys who do. I got my guy Stu. He's the guy who does this. I had to bring Alec on. So we're going to start with Stu. We'll just get right into it and let everybody see it. This is what they want to see. So Stu, starting with you, I'm going to allow you to present your quarterback list, and I'll put the list over as you read them through. So go ahead and start with your one through five. All right, so my one through five, I have quarterback number one, Kenny Pickett, uh, quarterback out of Pitt. Number two, I have Matt Corral. Three, Sam Howell. Four, Carson Strong. And five, Desmond Ritter. Uh, I want to start at five, Mo, because I think five will probably catch a lot of people's eyes because there's a certain guy who's not in the top five who we'll talk about later that Mel Kuyper had going in the first round in his mock draft, who I know Alec has as his top quarterback. But let's talk about quarterback number five. For Desmond Ritter, he displays everything that you want. And need in their quarterback um we'll dive deeper into him here in a minute uh carson yeah. strong big ben-esque and then sam howe was my quarterback one in the preseason matt corral and then you know obviously kenny pickett who i think is the best quarterback in this draft yeah so we're, we'll move on to your six through ten go ahead and just go ahead go ahead and let us know who your six through ten is if you're watching live you can see it here on the screen uh, six is Malik Willis. This is a guy that probably shocks people. He's not in the top five. Uh, Bailey Zappi has displayed a lot of great things that you can, you know, really go on about and, and talk about for days. Caleb El Elby, uh, the guy that Alec really likes. And then Brock Purdy 
is number nine. And then 10 is Tanner Morgan. I've read some reports that Morgan's coming out and I've heard others that he's staying. So this one could obviously change depending on what ultimately happens. But Tanner Morgan's my quarterback 10. Yeah. And then uh, prior to the show, about 15, 20 minutes ago, Brock Purdy's lit name has actually come off of all the scouting lists. Um, so there's been no real, like whether he's entering or not, but it's a very high possibility that he'll be returning to college. Yeah. Alec put me on. So before we get into it, we already know what direction we're going to go first. But Alec, go ahead and read through us one through 10, your list. Like I said, if you're w- watching live, you'll be able to see. But Alec is blessing us by letting us see his top 10 quarterback prospects. And he hasn't even released it yet. Yeah, so this is my first, uh, I would call it a mock, I guess, of the top 10 quarterback prospects. Um, I actually told Rashad I was going to hold on to it till about the end of March, uh, beginning of April, just when draft kicked off. But when Mo hit me up, I was like, yeah, man, this is definitely uh, definitely something I want to do. And, of course, Mo uh, gave me my first show, letting me talk about how I grade quarterbacks and how I break them down. So just for anybody that doesn't know, um, just like my mentor, Rashad Phillips, who revolutionized the basketball position, I went ahead and did a spin on football and the way football players are graded. I have four um, positions for the quarterback, one being a dual threat, two being a mobile passer, three being a pocket passing quarterback, and four being a field general, which we really have not seen since Andrew Luck. So it's very rare that we get a field general, but a lot of quarterbacks you know, in the future turn into field generals. But just right off the rip, uh, at number one from Liberty, I have Malik Willis. At number two, from Ole Miss, I have Matt Corral. At number three, I have one of my personal favorites, uh, Carson Strong out of Nevada. At number four, I have a lot of analysts' favorite quarterback, a little bit lower than what most people have him. I know Kenny Pickett's a top three quarterback on a lot of boards. Uh, but personally, I think the the three above him move me a little bit more. But nonetheless, Kenny Pickett from Pitt at number four. At number five, I have another one of my personal favorites out of UNC. We have Sam Howell, um, another great quarterback. At number six, a really big sleeper, I feel like just because of his background and everything that we'll get into a little bit later, is uh, Bailey Zappi out of Western Kentucky University. And at number seven, I know this is going to come as a shock considering people who follow me on Twitter understand how high I was on Desmond Ritter. And I, I basically tuned into every Cincinnati game every weekend, as long as they were on TV, I was watching. So I know it comes as a shock, but like I said, some quarterbacks just move you a little bit more than what Desmond Ritter was capable of. Still, nonetheless, a great quarterback. And number eight, another one of my favorites, Caleb Ellaby. This is just a guy that I feel isn't talked about enough in the draft. Um, I actually didn't even catch wind of him until I was viewing draft boards and stuff like that. And I actually took a look at his tape, and he can play. He can play. Um, at number nine, I have Dustin Crum out of Kent State, a little uh, unknown guy. And at number 10, I have Jack Cohn from Notre Dame. As everybody knows, I love my – Notre Dame quarterbacks and watching Notre Dame football. Yeah, so the first thing I want to get into before we really visit, because the first, you know, we're going to talk about Malik Willis. That's going to be first because that's your QB1. That's QB6 for Stu. But, you know, like you said, with with what went into the thought process for you as far as really creating the position dictionary? Because for people that don't know, you did it for wide receivers. You did it for running backs. You did it for all positions. So you don't grade everybody the same. You have a different outlook, just like your mentor Rashad Phillips does with basketball. And so I guess the first question I want to ask, did you get a lot of pushback uh, last year when you kind of presented your position dictionary? Was there a lot of pushback and a lot of you don't know what you're talking about? Because we all know Rashad gets that 
all the time, even though he's right about what 80% of the time. So was there a lot of pushback there for you? So it's actually uh it's actually pretty funny. I expected it just because of everything that me and Rashad talk about. He's like, look, he told me straight up, he said, when you want to change something, people are going to go against it. That's just what it is. But change is necessary and evolution happens to everything. There's nothing and no one that can disregard evolution. And I feel like because of how fast paced football is, is now and how much the game's dynamic is changing, I just feel like it's okay to look at players with a different outlook. I mean, if we look at players that came beforehand a lot of these guys were bruisers heavy hitters and it's like you get flags called on you now for being a bruiser or a heavy hitter it's not a something that everybody wants to do there are guys that naturally have athleticism and skill to go along with their position and even then we've seen guys like who actually one of my favorite prospects uh, Isaiah Simmons he was a safety he's now moved to linebacker and the reason like I'm, I'm gonna let everybody know just because I know most seen it on Twitter that's what I call a hybrid safety. I know a lot of people are like, ah, what's a hybrid? You know, it's this new position. Nobody's really getting along with it. Tyron Matthew embodies this position. He's the reason that we have to look at players with a different eye, I feel. And like I said, everybody is a solid athlete. That's no questioning. But it's time that we just stop calling people wide receivers, cornerbacks. Like some people are just naturally different. You have big body wide receivers. You have guys that just naturally go over the top or you have yard after, yards after catch specialists. I guess a lot of it, I'm not going to lie, came from playing Madden. But once I met Rashad and he told me like, it's okay to look at players with a different eye and not just based on statistics, it honestly opened up my world. And that's where I was kind of like, okay, this is what I want to do. Because before I was naturally just all NFL, I was just feeding facts to people on a podcast. And once Rashad actually sat me down, I think we we sat on the phone for like three hours. He was he told me he's like, I believe in you. I believe that you can make the change. And honestly, once he told me that, I literally just went to work. And like I said, this is my twenty third. I get my twenty third year on this planet, so I'm just going even harder. It's the Jordan year. So with that being said, I know I've already done safeties, cornerbacks, wide receivers, quarterbacks. This year, I'm trying to hopefully incorporate the linebacker position. Like I said, that's a hybrid. There's hybrid linebackers. There's physical linebackers. So that's something that I'm going to take a dive onto probably later on in a couple months. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, there's been ways of like opening the door essentially for what you're doing, but nobody fully committing. Like we got zone corners. We have man to man corners. Like we look at them even like that. Like people talk about Richard Sherman and they'll be like, well, he's just a zone corner. He doesn't travel. Mm -hmm. He's not a man-to-man -man guy. So you already look at Richard Sherman, who's an all-time great, differently than you would look at a Jalen Ramsey. So now it takes somebody like you to come in and, like, let's label these guys different because they are different. Yep. They're both great in their own regard, but you can't evaluate them the same because they're not, they're not the same type of corner. Richard Sherman doesn't travel. For the most part, but it's not a knock on him. Like it's not a he's a bad corner because he's not going to follow. There's defensive systems. There's certain things that coordinators want. Like it's like when we talk about players, people throw out the coaching aspect. Like people forget that there's coaches who implement systems and they look at players. And this is where starters come in. This is where you get the job. This is my guy based on how I run a defense. This is what I want you to do. But people will discredit you for that because you play within the system. 
everything's a system at the end of the day, especially in football. Football is a lot different than basketball because mm-hmm. there's 11 guys on both sides of the ball that all have to, to come together in a system essentially to win football games. Whether we rank what position is more important, it doesn't matter. They all have to come together as a unit. One guy steps out of line, boom, now the whole play is broken up. There goes a touchdown. Now the offense has to make up for the lack of defense or vice versa. Defense constantly makes stops. Offense ain't able to score, but it's all a system. So I I definitely, you know what I'm saying? I applaud you for even jumping out there because somebody has to do it. And so for you to go ahead and go out there and do it, that's big time. Rashad did it, gets a lot of flack, and nobody applauds, appraises him for for where he hit. They focus on the very Until he's right. Wrong. Like, They'll they'll target him until he's right. And it's funny because I, I was ready for that. Like, I was like, okay, people are going to look. Like, I think personally people frown upon a mobile passer versus a dual threat because they're like, mobile's in the name. But there's a huge difference in what a dual threat does and what a mobile passer does. And that's what I feel people don't understand. And they're naturally just like, no, I want things done the good old-fashioned way. That's completely fine. Everybody's, you know, everybody has their own cup of tea. That's completely fine. But you can't bash somebody for trying to evolutionize the game, help the game be better. Like what I personally think, I personally think I'm helping the game. I'm labeling players to their correct position. Even if some of them are naturally out of position, there's safeties in this year's draft that can play corner. Same way there's corners in this draft that can play safety. You just have to naturally label the person correctly or they're going to get lost in transit. One of the players that I felt got lost very very bad was it was a raider draft pick he came from kentucky played running back quarterback linebacker bowden kick return can't remember his name right now uh, bowden was it lynn bowden yes lynn yeah. bowden yes lynn bowden lynn bowden came and he was playing position we saw jabril peppers do the exact same thing and then when it came draft time everybody shunned away from him a little bit cuz they were like What's he going to play? What are we going to have him do in the league? Which I feel understandable, but at the same time, if he does all these revolutionary positions at solid pace, you can label him an athlete or you can label him to a correct position. Yeah, 100%. So, like I said, somebody had to jump out there. So, we're going to go straight into your quarterback one. And I'm going to really leave the floor, so I'm going to let you explain why you got Malik Willis as quarterback one. And then straight straight up from there, Stu, you can respond because y'all have them. And when we're talking about quarterback positions, one through six, like he's got him at one, you got uh, you got him at six. That's multiple rounds difference, especially this year. Because even when grading quarterbacks, I think what we all three agree on, this isn't the strongest quarterback class that we've seen. I think there's some solid guys. A lot of these guys were very solid in college but not a lot of them were great. We're typically used to great. And to throw out great, next year's draft class in quarterbacks has the potential to be a great draft class. Like, this has the potential to match up to the the Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Mac Jones uh, Mm -hmm. type of draft class. Possibly even better. I think it's loaded like no other. Uh, So we'll start with you, Alec. You have Malik Willis as QB1. Why? Uh, plain and simple, anybody that's really followed me from the get, they know how coveted I feel a dual threat quarterback is. Now, I personally feel like this is 
just me. He has a lot of Lamar Jackson in his game. Lamar Jackson is a little bit more shiftier. He's a little bit more slippy, uh, slippery. And what Malik brings to the table is a stronger arm. He has an absolute cannon. His three traits that I gave him, he's a play extender. He's got arm strength. And his vision is uncanny. Like, he's not a quarterback. Like, dual threats naturally will tuck the ball and run. Something that I've just grown accustomed to see. But Malik will see the field out, which I really like. Now, yes, people are going to go, okay, well, what about the competition that he plays at Liberty? And really, the stats are there, competition or not. Back-to-back, uh, -back, he went 34 touchdowns in 2020, 40 touchdowns in 2021, and he won bowl games in back-to-back -back years. This is uh, somebody that knows how to win. He's an ideal starting quarterback for me. Now, yes, he can sit on the bench if necessary, but I feel like a team like Detroit, Washington they need a quarterback like this somebody to change the culture and that's what I feel like a lot of NFL teams need to do it they need to change their culture which is completely fine you look at Baltimore they went from Joe Flacco to a dual threat you look at Arizona they went from we'll just go with Carson Palmer because that's like one of their best quarterbacks in recent history they go from Carson Palmer to Kyler Murray it's okay to change the culture there's nothing wrong with it and one uh, I mean another guy that's changing culture too is Sean McVay but he's doing it an entirely different way but what NFL teams are doing to be successful, unless you're my New England Patriots, you're changing your culture to win. And that's what I feel like Malik Willis brings to the table with those three traits and his winning capabilities. So, Stu, you know, you got him at quarterback six. What is it that you disagree with? Um, don't don't see that he sees, you know, what 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 is it that you feel like he's looking at that you're like, nah, I just... I can't rock with that. And it's perfectly okay that y'all don't agree. That's why we got multiple evaluators trying to figure out where these guys go. Listen, here's the thing. I'm going to be honest with you. He was the toughest evaluation for me because I, I'm going to go back a little bit. I'm going to do something that a lot of people don't do, and that's admit when they're wrong. And I go back to the 2018 draft class, and I was not a fan of Josh Allen whatsoever. And so – I kept getting that same vibe here, right? Like I, I was afraid I I'm afraid maybe I'm undervaluing how Malik Willis is as a quarterback. And I don't want to repeat the Josh Allen situation where we fast forward three years from now, he's a top three, top four quarterback in the league. But again, I think a lot of people and not Alec, not talking about Alec, you know, by himself, but I, I do think a lot of people when you see the mainstream mainstream media and a lot of people talk about it the first thing they talk about when it comes to guys like malik willis is their big arm and like i love the big arms i i understand that but i said the same thing about drew lock i think he's gonna be better than drew lock but the point is like big arms don't always translate to nfl success congrats you can get on your knees and throw the ball 60 yards like i love malik willis and turning on the tape the first thing that i saw from malik willis that caught my eye was how fast the ball left his hand and hit the receiver's hands. Like, there's not another quarterback in this draft class that throws the ball the way Malik Willis does. Not a single one of them. And then you had the mobility on top of it. But the, the part that held me back was the decision-making for Malik Willis. Now, is that him playing hero ball? Maybe. That may be because of how lackluster the talent around him was, which is – you know, draws the comparisons to Josh Allen for me in 2018, where I was super hard on Josh Allen. I was like, no, he can't be. He's going to be a bust, all this stuff, because I didn't take into account the talent around him. 
I'm not saying Malik Willis is going to be a bust. I, I do think, like Alex said, there's a place for him in this league. And I think he can be successful because of how mobile he is and how the ball just pops out of his hands. But for me, it's the decision-making. And I think he's a guy who needs to sit a year, maybe two years, learn under a guy like, you know, take the Patrick Mahomes route. Like we say the Patrick Mahomes route, but I'm serious. Maybe if he fell into a, to a role like Jordan Love has done in Green Bay where you can sit behind the guy for two or, or three years and you don't have to be the guy right now, that will benefit him in the long run. And he'll understand the game because the game's quick. The game's quicker at Georgia than it is at Liberty. And the game's quicker at the NFL than it is at Georgia. And mm -hmm. so I look at it like that. Like, I understand he's a really good quarterback and his skill set's going to translate to the NFL. I'm not worried about that. But I, I do question sometimes his decisions and why he does some of the things that he does. So what I would say, if when I grade Malik Willis, right, like I don't come out with the positions just because I just love talking about everybody. If I have to really rank them, now I really got to think, and I'm not much of a thinker. I leave that to guys like you. Y'all think that I just have thoughts on your thoughts. So but when I look at Malik Willis, you said some key things. He's not my quarterback one. Like If I was to release a list, he wouldn't be quarterback one, but he's top three. And I have to look at, I lean more, I'd rather be wrong on him as valuing him high than be wrong on him and putting him low and be like, man, I didn't show him enough love, especially in today's NFL. The big arm concept for him, because of how mobile he is, how much of a dual, how deadly he is with his legs, is why I have to value him high. If we're looking at Lamar Jackson, we're talking about an MVP. If there's a guy that we think is Lamar Jackson-esque with a bigger arm, to me, that makes him even more deadly. But it's when we talk, especially quarterbacks, more than anything, it's all about fit. And that's what I hate about the draft, essentially, is that the better you play, the worse the team that you go to. That's yes. what I hate about the draft. I really do because these superstar college football players have to go to these bad organizations, and when it comes to a quarterback, you're expected to be the savior. And when you can't be that, you're a bust. And then some of these guys go on, and then after they get released from where they were a bust, they have a pretty decent career. Like, and so yep. that's where it's tough about talking about quarterbacks because everything is boom or bust. There is no in between. Like, either he's going to be good, he's going to be a starting quarterback for the team that he was drafted for a long time, or B, he's going to suck his first year. And we don't even give quarterbacks three years anymore. I have a three year rule. I give okay. guys your okay. first your first year is like if you're great, then all eyes are on you. Three, like one, two, three. Yeah. Three yeah. Years? yeah. I, I have a three year rule too. Three years. Before I say that a quarterback is a bust coming out of the draft, and is I know it three years starting, or is it just three years in the starting. league? I want so three me, years starting. I want to yeah. see three years starting. If you're if okay. you're Mahomes okay. and you're on the bench, like I don't care about that. Like if you came in and you're meant to sit behind a starter like Alex Smith, or if somebody goes to Atlanta and sits behind Matt Ryan, your first year is irrelevant. If you're not playing Trey Lance, essentially. This year was irrelevant to me. I don't know what he's going to be, but the couple games that he made appearances in, I'm not going to kill him for that because he probably didn't yeah. know he was starting or playing until, you know, the game was over on Sunday in preparation for the next week. Jimmy G had to get hurt in the game on Sunday uh, or Thursday, whatever it was, for him to even know that he has a possibility of playing the next week. So your first three years starting is like by the middle of year 
three. So after about two and a half years, you start to really see what a guy is going to be. There's always exceptions for that. But with Malik Willis, I think he could be so dynamic. And what Alex said, there's two teams, Washington or Detroit. The one advantage that he'll have, he's going to have a receiver. Amamra St. Brown played amazing this year. Like, yeah, he's not DeAndre Hopkins. I get that, but he's also only in year one. But they had some weapons there. You had DeAndre Swift at running back. You wouldn't be going. You got a star offensive lineman that's going to make sure you don't get put on your butt. So you have some options there where you do yeah. have success. And you can sit behind Jared Goff for at least a year. Detroit can draft that's their the key. quarterback yeah, and keep key. Jared Goff. And that's my biggest thing. If we talk that's, about Detroit. That's it's like, what I've been trying to tell everybody. Yeah, if they're not holding on to Jared Goff for, for the future, keep him for a year. Get one of these rookie quarterbacks. Because I think Detroit would be, they have the possibility if they hit nail the draft. They right, have to they, a little too yeah, good to so, get so, CJ so Stroud. The, the second pick, the second pick, they'll probably go defense in my mind. With all the you know, this is a defensive loaded draft no. class. You know, I, I said it on last year's pod that we did. I said it. This was going to be the defensive loaded draft class. We're going to have to wait another year to see you know a special offensive class. But the defensive class is so loaded. But what Detroit benefits from is they have two first-round picks as well. They also have an early second. If Malik is to fall, because not everybody is high, just like me and Mel Kuyper on Malik Willis, if Malik is to fall, Detroit doesn't use a late up pick after their first one to grab him. And what if Washington takes him? Like, there's a possibility that Washington takes him. And they're not a bad team. You will be throwing the ball to Terry McLaurin. You will have two backs in the backfield that you'll be able to hand the ball off. You have about a, what an average to slightly below average offensive line. So you're not going to go in there year one, if you want to be the starter year one, but you also have Taylor Heineke who at least for the first half of the season, he can start for Washington. So when mm -hmm. I'm talking about grabbing Malik Willis, I mean, you might not sit the whole year, but you can at least sit the first six to eight games. We added an extra game. So that makes a difference too, where I could spend training camp. I could spend spring camp. I could spend training camp. And I can spend preseason and I can spend the first six to eight weeks getting you ready to take over that quarterback role. And I think that would be perfect for, for a Malik Willis, especially because that's it's like you don't want to be wrong on him. Like if yeah. you're wrong on him because you valued him too high, you take that on the chin and you go. But he's the type of guy that, you know, his game does translate to today's NFL. And if you put him at nine, ten. He's a fifth round guy. He's a fourth round guy. I don't love him. He'll never have a place in this NFL. And you're wrong. You're not going to take that one on the chin. People won't let you live that one down. If you got Malik Wallace or Malik Willis high, and I still think six is high enough, Stu, where like if you were wrong on him, you're, you're in between. So it's like it won't be too, too bad. But if he becomes great, Alec looks like a genius. But if he if he's not good, nobody's going to really punish Alec for having him. Cause I don't think, I think the benefits of jumping on him is there's not necessarily a guaranteed star quarterback behind him in this draft. Exactly. And here's the thing with, just like Alex said, this is just a, a, I guess a mock, like my final one will come out right before the draft, maybe a week yeah. or two weeks before the draft. Again, you know, we'll value all the things. There's certain guys above him. I want to see what they do in the combine. Mo, I know you're not high on the combine, but there are certain guys that actually one guy directly in front of him, one one spot in front of him that I want to see what he does on routes on air because 
the biggest thing for Desmond Ritter for me has been his his inaccuracies. And we'll see if he, you know, if those translate with no pads. And if they do, I'm moving Malik Willis up because if you can't complete passes with no pads, you can't complete them with pads. But I again I'm gonna have time to die. I've dove into tape. I feel like I I've watched so much tape on the top five guys, uh, top six guys, I guess, because Malik Willis is in that in that realm as well. But I'm gonna keep diving and I'm gonna take in, you know, interviews to account, stuff like that. And he'll pro there's a good chance he'll probably move up. I'll probably fall out of love with one of these guys. I'm not sure which one. Um, but I know Malik Willis will probably move up into my top five by the time April gets here. So there's a guy I want to focus on, and here's why. I know how Alec feels, and I know how Stu feels having conversations with both of them, and it's Jack Cone. He's not in your top 10, Stu. He's in Alec's top 10 at 10, but I know Alec loves his Notre Dame quarterbacks, and Stu, I just know how you feel about Notre Dame as a whole, especially living in Indiana. So I have, and I've seen Jack Cone his whole career. I'm a Big Ten guy. I love Ohio State. I've seen him at Wisconsin, and I didn't think he was set up. I didn't think he was going to have any type of success at Notre Dame, uh, just from what I've seen at Wisconsin. But then I look at Wisconsin quarterbacks. Graham Harrell was supposed to be that. Uh, there, there were so many guys that they were supposed to be that. But Wisconsin's system, to me, and I think Cone emphasizes this statement, Wisconsin's system is not built for quarterbacks. They produce offensive linemen, they produce running backs, and they produce guys on the defensive end. I think they're more focused on typical Big Ten style of football, that up north, beefy guys, and, and they get that at running back. They've had a lot of guys, you know, get drafted out of running back. Obviously, arguably, the best running back in the league comes from Wisconsin. Melvin Gordon coming out was, was the top running back coming out of college out of Wisconsin. Uh, Monty Ball was highly regarded coming out of Wisconsin, obviously phased out. But I look at what's and I look at him at Notre Dame, and then I have to. The, my focus for Jack Cone is that first half against Oklahoma State. That is the game, and I know he faded out, but some of that is coaching and game plan. We can't kill guys for having a great first half and slow in the second half. I think they played it safe at that point on how they jumped out on 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 Oklahoma State, but that was a great defensive team, and he literally shredded their defense apart in the first half. Notre Dame was almost running to the bowl win until they started playing it safe. They took it out of Jack Cone's hands, so that's why I don't believe it. And then when it was too late, you took him out of rhythm. Now you want to put it back in his hands, go win us this game. And it's like, well, from the third quarter all the way through the midway point of the fourth quarter, you took it out of my hands. I already had a rhythm, and you expect me to come out of the locker room and a quarter and a half be out of rhythm and expect me to just jump right in and save the day for Notre Dame. So before I go to you, Stu, Alec, when you when you put Jack Cone in your top ten, how how do you really feel about him? Because you got him at tenth, so it's not like you're like higher than just everybody else. But you're probably one of the very few, if not only ones, that'll end up having him in your top ten at least pre combine. So the thing with Jack Cone, I mean, like we mentioned earlier, this isn't a very uh, heavy coveted quarterback class. Jack Cone is literally at ten. He was the 10th quarterback that I had looked at. Aside from guys like Tanner McKee, Brock Purdy, they're not available on draft boards anymore. I mean, I would love to give Brock Purdy, you know, his flowers, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to talk about a quarterback that isn't even draft eligible on anybody's draft boards. 
So I chose Jack Cohen just because, one, I do like Notre Dame quarterbacks. Two, I liked what he did at Wisconsin. I thought it was, you know, in the 14 games that he played, he had 2,727 yards, 22 total touchdowns, and he only threw five interceptions. Like, he's very, very careful with the ball, which I really like. Now, I had, it's crazy, I had Notre Dame on a rebuild year. Coming in, I was like, I don't think it's really going to be, you know, all that. Well, fast forward to now, I'm really biting myself in the foot because Notre Dame had a pretty decent season. It was far from a rebuild. And what I like about Jack Cohn, he keeps his composure very well, and that's naturally with his leadership. So I feel like that's kind of why they were like, all right, let's put him back in and see if he can win this game. He has that natural leadership, natural composure to keep his cool on the football field. But like you said, when you take somebody out of your rhythm – Expect him to catch fire in what the last, what was it like the last six minutes of the game? Yeah, it's it's not gonna happen. Like it's it's just not gonna happen. He's extremely accurate, which I feel like a lot of people are over, uh, underlooking. Um, he's efficient at all three levels: short, mid, deep throws. What I like a lot is that he can make his layups. What layups are in football for people that don't know is he can hit his checkdowns. He does it with ease. He has no problem doing it, and that's how you're successful in the NFL. You look at my rookie quarterback, Mac Jones. He's becoming a checkdown princess, and I love it. I love it. It helps you win football games. So that's why I had Jack Cohn in there. He's a pocket-passing QB, has zero mobility to him. I hope I don't see him on any type of actions, play actions, uh, RPOs, or anything like that. He stands at six foot three, 223 pounds. He's a solid size for a quarterback. So he's going to be a good backup. He has the IQs there. He's going to make some quarterback coach very happy when picking apart defenses. Yeah, and I agree. And like I said, I don't think he got a fair shake. Essentially, like at Wisconsin, I think they kind of hold back, um, you know, quarterbacks essentially because, like you say, still threw for 2,700 yards, but that's not an aired out offense, but that's not how Wisconsin plays football either. They play it. They win their games in the trenches, low scoring games. So when you have a guy who showed he can air it out, I mean, what he throw for 3,100 yards this year, 25 touchdowns, six picks, which goes to your point that he's very careful with the ball. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. 65% completion percentage. That's really good. Like if I'm evaluating a quarterback to the NFL, like that's what I want to hear. Anything less than 60 in college gets real scary only because like, the college game is easier than the NFL game. And if you're a guy that yep. needs that, that we want to see in the NFL, you're supposed to make college look fairly easy. We do evaluate your circumstances. Like we said with Malik Willis over there at Liberty, but he's still through over 60%. Like, so we, we look at the talent that's around you and even still like Notre Dame didn't have their, their, they had a good tight end, but they didn't have top heavy wide receivers. They didn't have a lot of talent where you're like, man, they should be airing the ball out. But he protects the ball. Even when he when he releases that ball, it's not put in a position for a lot of turnovers. Stu, what do you think when you hear Jack Cohn? Like, you, you didn't have him in your top 10. Alec had him just at 10, so y'all probably aren't far off in the in the first place anyway. But when you hear him, what would you expect for, for you know, analysts to really look at when they're looking at him for his draft stop? I mean, a lot of what Alec said, listen, the reason I didn't have him in my top 10 was outside of doing work on – Kyron Williams, the running back for Notre Dame for my running back rankings last year. I haven't dug deep into Jack Cohn. Like I've been focused on the top six guys and really kind of diving into their, their film that kind of the back half, you know, the, the 
shall I say, like nine through 15 guys. I haven't really dug in on all that much. And I, I will as the season, as the off season progresses here and stuff like that. So like, that's why he didn't make my top 10. It's not because I don't like him. It's not because I think he's a bad quarterback. It's simply because I haven't done enough work on him. I haven't watched enough of his tape to be like, here's what I like and here's what I don't like because it, I don't feel like that'd be fair for me to put him in the top 10 and then come out here and try to like BS my way through a reason I, I do or don't like him. So that's why he wasn't in my top 10. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel that. And that's, that's the responsibility of covering these prospects is like, we don't really want to come out here and talk out our butt. So a guy I want to talk about, cause I think both of y'all are fairly high on, uh, and that's Bailey Zappi. I mean, the career he had, the, the career year that he had at Western Kentucky, he outdid Joe Burrow. I get it. It's at Western Kentucky. So we're going to back off a little bit because had he had this type of stat line at Florida, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin, he probably would be QB1. So we're going to fade back a little bit and, and give the benefit of the doubt that he was just that good against inferior opponents. But the man threw 5,900 yards, almost 6,000 yards, 62 touchdowns, 11 picks, almost 70%, 69.3%, you know, completion percentage. And he still had three rushing touchdowns. Guys like him, they get that at the goal line, run a little run pass option from two yards out. Um, so it's not like he's dynamic when he runs the ball. My only pause on Bailey Zappi is it wasn't done at this capacity, but it was close. And that was Mike White. Mike White was at Western Kentucky prior to Bailey Zappi being there and having this kind of year. And he put up crazy numbers. And then we kind of seen he comes in, you know, the first time against the New York Jets. And he has a huge game, makes a name for himself, felt like. But then he spoke. He, he spoke on his existence. And that's where I think he messed up because he painted his own personal target on his back by saying, I should have been, you know, the number one quarterback. When, when I was coming out in the draft and like when you have a great performance and you do that and nobody thinks about you now that you put the pressure on yourself, you probably put the pressure on yourself mentally and you go into the next game having to prove something. And Mike White kind of played abysmal the next game after everybody kind of put him on alert and was like, oh, man, like and I remember watching him at Western Kentucky because I had a homeboy that played safety over there. So I was watching a lot of their games. So I really remember him. But that's my pause on Zappy. Uh, Stu, we'll start with you. What is it that you really love about him that a Western Kentucky guy ain't making you top 10? Is, is he making a top 10 because it's this year and it's not loaded? Or it's just really something when you watch him, you really love him? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I, I'm not like, like I said, I told you when I turned on the Malik Willis tape and I watched him, the first pass I watched him throw football, I said, oh my God. Like, I, I didn't get that when I watched Bailey Zappi, but I think he has a lot of, of great things that you you want out of out of a quarterback he's smart i you know i think he's got good zip the ball placement's really well i think he's really good at that stuff here's the thing i i know a lot of people are going to be like but he played in the air raid offense but i think patrick mahomes has made the air raid offense cool you look at the success the little bit of success that gardner Minshew has had you look at guys like baker mayfield who played at oklahoma which kind of ran somewhat of a air raid offense, the Kyler Murray air raid offense. You look at how that's translated to the NFL. That has kind of gone out the window, in my opinion. Like, I think that's a, a terrible excuse as to why a quarterback won't succeed. Because I think as we saw with 
the zone read and as we've seen with the RPOs, the game's evolving and they're saying, listen, there's quarterbacks here. Let's not let's not make them fit our mold. Let's make our mold fit them and kind of run what they ran in college with the air raid stuff. Again, I think he's really, really good with ball placement, decision making, stuff like that. But I think where he struggles at times and where you got to be able to do this in the NFL is when he drops back and they have a 15 yard out route, he sells the ball on the sidelines. You got to make that throw. You know, you got to make that throw along the sideline to keep the chains moving with a minute and 30 seconds to go to drive down the field to win the game. You, you just got to do it in the NFL. He did not do it at Western Kentucky, not a whole lot. He sailed it a little too high. He would sail it, you know, too far outside. Like you got to, you got to reel those in along the sidelines. You got to be more accurate along the sidelines when you're making those throws because those are the money makers in the NFL, especially if it comes down to you having to drive down the field to set up your kicker to kick the game winning field goal. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I think the bowl game and, you know, this is like a topic for another time, but this is why bowl season is so important because this is the one time that at random times throughout the day, depending on what bowl game you're playing in, we get to sit down and actually watch these players. You start hearing about this is when draft talk picks up heading into bowl season and you actually get to see a guy like Bailey Zappi play. And I sat down and I watched that bowl game and it was nothing short of impressive in that bowl game. Now, granted, he's not playing all NFL talent, but I think the whole like comparison sometimes of like how they pan out in the NFL, the projection of that sometimes becomes overrated because we don't really know like, okay, he played at Western Kentucky. So like, are we going to kill him for not playing against elite talent? Or are we going to pick him up for playing with non-elite talent and putting up the numbers that he put up. So I think that's where when we talk about these small small school guys, I think that's where it gets confusing is because the first thing we want to jump at is like, well, he never played against a linebacker from Alabama or a cornerback, you know, from he never played against Sauce Garner. He never played against these shutdown corners. But at the same time, like he never threw the ball to, to one of these wide receiver ones in the draft. He never threw the ball to a third round pick. He's throwing the ball to barely making it into the NFL at best. So, Alec, when you look at Bailey Zappi, what is your opinion on him? I like Zappi. I like what he brings to the table. Now I get, of course, that's going to be his number one concern throughout the entire draft process. It's going to be, well, what talent did he really face? And at the same time, Trey Lance went to North Dakota State University. The talent over there isn't all that crazy. And Jordan Love two years ago. Like, let, let's be honest. Carson Wentz went to NDSU, too. Let's be honest here. What talent do they really face aside from, like you said, when it comes to bowl season, you get that occasional wild card team that will play a pretty decent team. Now, I get in his bowl season, Zappy played with Appalachian State. Now, to me, when I hear Appalachian State, I think of the longest yard when Adam Sandler called them a tune-up team. <laughs> so what yeah. Bailey Zapp did to them, damn near a tune-up, his combine for the draft it was a way for him to get eyes on him now like you said with mike white he had big mouth talked a lot about making his own story and stuff like that zappy i don't see him like that he's a grinder which i really like now i know we talk about talent and we talk about oh well he didn't face a linebacker out of alabama he didn't face a db from ohio state he went to houston baptist for four years four straight years put up numbers and he's playing guys that are trying to make a name for themselves to get to places like Alabama, to get to places like Ohio. He's playing legitimate 
dogs, which is why another reason I like Bailey Zappi. He's not afraid to just – he doesn't care what opponent is in front of him. Either way, he's going to play the same game regardless. We take a look at what he did this year at Western Kentucky. Like you said, almost 6,000 yards yeah. led college football – and only 11 to have 11 interceptions and 62 touchdowns. Kind of NFL numbers, guys, if we're being honest. Yeah, so it, NFL oh. quarterback numbers. Yeah, now, well, I get, like I said, the talent level, yes, face five star players, you know. But me, like Mo said, he didn't throw to five star players either. He wasn't surrounded by five star players. He's a pocket passing QB that got hit every game mobility to his game whatsoever yeah he can get up and escape the pocket a little bit but he still got hit every single game he doesn't have you know draft class he doesn't have guys like evan neal or in kongu you know blocking for him he's got guys that just like him are playing at western kentucky university and it's a little bit harder to make it to the draft when you're from you know a division that western kentucky plays in so of course those guys are going to come with a little bit more grit a little bit more grind Honestly, one of the reasons that I focused a lot on Bailey Zappi is because small schools need to get focused on a little bit more. Guys like Bailey Zappi are literally just flying into the XFL because they just don't want to draft them because of the talent level that they played. But then if we look at guys like P.J. Walker who went to the XFL, I get it. they're two different quarterbacks. One's a dual threat. One's a pocket passer. He still had success in the XFL. Ended up in the NFL. So I really like Bailey Zapp. I think isn't a lot of pocket-passing QBs that are on my top 10. A lot of them are mobile passers or dual threats. Bailey Zapp is one of the few mobile um, pocket-passing QBs. And I really like it. He, Like I said, he has vision. He's a natural leader. He, four years at Houston Baptist, came right into WKU, and they were like, yeah, this is the guy. Like, he's going to lead add, us to the bump. Let me add on to what Alec is saying. I Listen, I think he's going to be a day-two guy. I, I don't know how the NFL feels on them. I, I haven't been hearing anything or, you know, really dug into like some of the others and, and what they're saying, how the NFL feels on them. I have a, a third to fourth round grade on him, like where I think he is. And I think he could be one of those guys who, like we do with Kirk Cousins, like we do with Dak Prescott, mm-hmm. who could get drafted in the third or fourth round. And we could be talking about in, in three, two to three years as, is this guy fighting for a top 15, top, 10 spot in the league. I'm not saying he's going to be, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want this to be clipped. And then three years from now, he's out of the league playing the XFL. And they're like, you said he was going to be this. I'm just saying he has the talent. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a day two guy that three years down the road, we're talking about as maybe one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Totally understandable. That's kind of where, uh, that's where I have him too. I don't, like I said, I have him as my number six quarterback just because that's how I personally ranked him. Now, yes, a lot of people are, like, not high on Bailey Zapp. I know PFF, like, posted it maybe, like, two weeks ago, and I was like, oh, hey, a Bailey Zappy post. I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> but him getting out there, that bowl game, you know, did a lot for him. And he's going to be one of those quarterbacks, too, just like Desmond Ritter. He has to show out in the combine. Now, like you said, he struggles finding those out routes. That's, a, that's one of his biggest, biggest weaknesses. And like you said, that's money in the NFL. You look at Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers throws that pass at least seven times a game. Five times to Devontae Adams, two to whichever other receiver wants to run at that game. Those are money (laughs) passes. Now, that's something that's completely fixable. But I feel like at the Combine, if he wants to hear his name come day three, day two at the end maybe, 
he has to show out those play action passes and those passes that are going out, passes are going towards the sideline. If you can't help a wide receiver toe tap, not room for you in the league now yes you can be a great backup you know you can be a guy like chase daniel who understands the game totally with an iq standpoint but i don't think bailey zappy wants to be a backup i really don't he's a competitor that's his third trait that i have for his player card he's completely competitive which i really like i mean we've seen it at western kentucky he has to play against talent that is also trying to get looked at so he didn't shy away from anything I understand that everybody's going to go, well, he played at Houston Baptist and then he played at Western Kentucky, but he wasn't ducking anybody's smoke at all. Yeah. And he showed up big time on the national stage. Essentially, like I know it's not a national championship, but like bowl season is it, that's a national stage for these small schools. Mm -hmm. And he played absolutely amazing. That's when everybody was really able to see his stat line for the season and realize like, man, there's a guy who's about to break Joe Burrow's record. And we have no idea who he is, essentially, unless you dive deep into this draft. So before we get into that one, the, the la we'll close out with Carson Strong. But I want, you know, we showed a lot of love to the small school guys. Malik Willis, you know, from Liberty. Um, Jack, Col not a small school, but a guy who kind of came out of nowhere, essentially, uh, at Notre Dame. And we'll get to your guy as well, because I do want to go back and focus on the two small school guys that you had in your top 10. Both of y'all had one of them in your top 10. But I want to talk about the, the 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 names, and that's Sam Howell, Matt Corral, Kenny Pickett. We'll also talk about Caleb Ellaby because there's about three guys from small schools. But I do want to talk about the names, and those are the three names. Coming into the season, Sam Howell was like QB1, either him or Rattler. You know what I'm saying? And, and nobody was wrong for that coming into the season. I think a lot of us were wrong on Rattler. Uh, uh, last year, going into last year, and it it sucks to say because like they, they those were QB one, those were our Heisman candidates. Like anybody, that was like QB one Heisman candidate preseason. Yeah, I it, literally I put my life on the line for Spencer Rattler on Twitter. Yeah, and and essentially, I think so did everybody else though. Like if you and if you weren't a Spencer Rattler guy, you were a Sam Howell guy. Like those were one A and one B, and we were waiting for them to battle it out. Now Sam Howell had probably the worst offensive line I've ever seen in college football from a power five school. I kid you not. Like I felt bad for the guy and he still put up what 3000 yards, 24 touchdowns, nine picks. So a little more, you know, his touchdown to interception ratio is a little bit higher than I would really like. Um, but he still threw for 62.5% and he had 828 rushing yards and 11 touchdowns. So when we talk about mm -hmm. Sam, Howell, then we talk about Matt Corral, 3,300 yards, 20 touchdowns, five picks, so he wasn't, like, explosive. I think, what, he missed one to two games. I know one game he played, but it was at minimal capacity. They weren't trying to unleash Matt Corral because he did play injured, and they were trying to protect him. I think that was – it wasn't against – was it against Tennessee? I think it was against Tennessee where Matt Corral played, like, limited. They didn't open up the playbook. It wasn't the high-scoring game that we thought it was going to be, simply for the fact Matt Corral wasn't 100%. And even Kenny Pickett – who had the best season of these guys, 4,300 yards, 42 touchdowns, seven picks, 67% completion percentage, 233 rushing yards and five rushing touchdowns. But he's not really he's not really a, a dual threat. He's definitely not a dual threat. I think he's more mobile. And everybody was impressed with, you know, the one play that stands out about his mobility is the play against uh, in the conference championship. 
the, the, the fake, fake slide. slide. Yeah, the fake slide. And then, you know, it's probably his most controversial play of his career as well. <laughs> but when we talk about those three guys, because I think that's going to be a consensus. This is a lot of – outside of Malik Willis, I think these are a lot of guys' top three. And, and these are the guys people are going to talk about a lot. They went to the power of five. You know, uh, so, when Stu, I'll start with you. When you hear these three guys, out of these three – Who's your top guy out of these three? Who do you love out of these three that you, you would? I don't say put your chips on the line because we're not we're not gonna clip this back and be like he said out of those three guys. But if, if there was a guy like I'm gonna fall in love with one of these three guys, who is your who is that guy for you? Listen, I, I, there's a difference. Now I did have again I have uh, Pickett as my quarterback one, and. Just because I have you as my quarterback one doesn't necessarily mean you're my my favorite quarterback in this draft class. Again, I had Joe Burrow as the quarterback one. My favorite quarterback in that draft class was Jordan Love. And I absolutely loved Jordan Love. I loved Will Greer the year he came out, but he wasn't my quarterback one. Here's the here's the guy I absolutely love is Sam Howell. And I understand Sam Howell's numbers went down, dropped this year, stuff like that, but he was second on the team in rushing. Behind a running back, if you would have, if you'd have told me when the year began that there was going to be two leading rushers at UNC and the second one was going to be Sam Howe, I'd have said you were insane. Sam Howe, I think, showed another aspect of his game that maybe we were questioning. You know, what what can he bring mobility wise? Like his comp coming out for me was a bigger, stronger, better arm less controversial Baker Mayfield. That's that's what his comp was for me coming out. I think he's more mobile than Baker now. I said that last year. I said that coming into this when he was my quarterback one in the preseason. I think he proved it. I love Sam Howell. Sam Howell's a guy I'm going to stand on the table for. And if, if the other two guys are off the board, listen, I'm going to stand on the table. And I'm going to say you should draft this guy. Don't be surprised, Mo and Alec, if next year, if he goes again, this is about fit. I'm not going to say this if he goes to a team that is is terrible and like Jacksonville or whatever. But if he goes to a team like a Pittsburgh or he goes to a team like a Washington or a team that is really kind of a quarterback away, don't be surprised if he has a Mac Jones effect next year and he's that rookie that comes in. He's maybe the most pro ready quarterback in this draft class, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, Sam Howell made me take a step back on how much to love him going into this draft. But I can't, bl- I, I blame that offensive line is yeah. what really made, like that offensive line is what really made me like, ah, it's it's not him. That old line was horrible. He did have to escape. And like you say, he showed us a different aspect of his game because a pocket passer gets killed, puts up terrible stats and isn't even looked at. But because of his mobility, because of him able to get into the end zone, uh, before I let Alec go, my guy is Kenny Pickett. I, I, I'm going to be honest. Uh, and Mel Kuyper released his mock draft, and I, I read. When, when it comes to these mock drafts and Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay, I read. And if, if, if he does go to New Orleans, like Mel Kuyper predicted, I think that is the perfect spot for him be the most successful the small hands was said about Drew Brees I'm not calling him Drew Brees but what I'm saying is he will be playing in a dome if he could go to Minnesota I think Minnesota would be set up for him to be successful he'd be throwing year one if he was the starter if they moved from Kirk Cousins Atlanta 
I think Atlanta sitting behind Matt Ryan for a year would be ideal. But if they move on from Kirk Cousins, you're, you're coming in year one, you're handing the ball off to Dalvin Cook. You try and beef up that offensive line a little bit, but you're also throwing to Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. Not a bad move for a guy like Kenny Pickett. And playing majority of your games or half of your games in a dome as a home team, I think would benefit him. And that's a shout out to reading about what Mel Kuyper said about him. Those small hands may not be a factor if he is playing for a team that's in a dome. Alec, when you talk about these three guys, who is your guy that you like the most out of these three, regardless of rankings, because you still got to do your due diligence, but just personal opinion, who is your favorite out of these three guys? You want me to be completely honest with you? I really like Matt Corral compared to all three of these guys. Now, you can, you know, people can date check me. Before the season started, I said Desmond Ritter and Sam Howell. Remember those two names because they're going to be the two most talked about quarterbacks in this year's season now yes sam howell i had him in my top three beginning of the season because what he did with dynamy brown the year before having dual running backs that are capable of doing whatever both of them are in the nfl now by the way that was special i mean 2020 he throws for 3500 yards total touchdowns and only seven interceptions with a competent o-line that's that's pretty good you go to the year before that 3600 yards 39 total touchdowns and seven interceptions. Now, I do have Howell as a mobile passer just because, you know, this season he did show, you know, the kid showed he's got some wheels. 828 yards is nothing to be taken lightly. But what I really like is his competitive drive and his placement on the ball. You know, throwing seven interceptions, seven interceptions with a nine, that's pretty good. He didn't have a double-digit interception total any of his starting seasons. That's pretty good for Sam Howell. Now, like you guys said, because of the talent around him this season, it definitely bumped him down. But Sam Howell has shown you surround him with the correct talent, he can get done. Yeah. I'm looking at teams like, you know, I'm looking at a team that maybe can sit him for a year, like uh, Minnesota, who can, you know, maybe even keep Kirk for another year, let him coach him up a little bit, and then let Sam Howell take the helm. I don't really want him starting his first year. Now, a lot of people are like, well, why if you're getting a rookie? Well, people don't realize it. it's very hard for rookies to translate their first year. Just look at what Justin Fields went through this season. That was one of the hardest things for me to watch as a Justin Fields fan. 100%. Not everybody has, you know, not, not everybody comes into this Bill Belichick-esque system that's going to keep you protected and you get a defense that's going to back you up, you know, almost every game. But it's all about fit. Another guy, too, Kenny Pickett. I'm not as high on him as most people are. Um, I really don't know what it is. He just doesn't – his tape doesn't move me. Now, I don't – and I'm never going to look at somebody and be like, oh, yeah, he can't play quarterback because of his small hands. If he's a starting quarterback in college, he can obviously play QB. Now, I know you mentioned it would be a little bit more beneficial for him to play in a dome capacity like New Orleans, like Minnesota. But he played in Pittsburgh. That's what he's I was going to say. He's used to cold weather already. And I actually, you know, as you know, some people don't like the idea of me flirting with this, but I want to keep Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh. I'm not opposed to that. Comfortably put him in the same town. He, he wants to play in Pittsburgh, by the way. He's not opposed to it. We look at guys like Micah Parsons. We look at guys like Jalen Phillips who went to states that they wanted to play for. Micah Parsons is damn near a depoy. Just because he wanted to play for the Cowboys, that's his legitimate fit. He said, I wouldn't have wanted to play for another NFL team. You look at guys like Jalen Phillips, who stayed in Miami, who likes that natural warm weather 
he's thriving. And that's a guy who's one concussion away from being out of the game completely. So I feel like a good, you know, fit for Pickett is going to be Pittsburgh. You got Claypool. I don't know what the deal is with Juju, if they're going to let him walk, if they're going to keep him. We'll see. They still have Najee, who I feel is on his way to being an all-purpose back. He's showing, you know, he can catch the checkdowns. He he can damn near – you can hand him off the ball anytime, and he's getting at least minimum five yards. He's a big-body guy. I feel like that's a very good fitment for him. And then we go to a guy like Matt Corral. Matt Corral is probably one of the only quarterbacks I have in this draft that I would comfortably start. Now, a lot of people are looking at him a little bit iffy just because he's six foot, uh, 200 pounds, so they have him as this smaller-framed QB, but he's a mobile guy too. I don't Personally, I don't consider him a dual threat. I know that's going to come as a surprise for a lot of people just because he went from 506 rushing yards to 614, but I would more comfortably keep a guy like Matt Corral in the pocket. Let him show off the arm. He's got a quick release, which works to his advantage when the pocket is collapsing. He's just able to zip it through. You know, he hits his checkdowns very well, and he's a natural leader. If we all seen how Lane Kiffin felt about him. You know, they asked him, you know, why do you think you're going to win this game? And he says, Matt Corral. That natural leadership. His team rallies against him. Now, yes, it took a huge hit watching him get injured against Baylor in that bowl game. That was definitely the biggest hit for his draft stock. But personally, I'm looking at a team like Atlanta. I'm looking at Matt Corral. Let Matt Corral maybe, maybe come in for Matt Ryan. I think it's a great fit. They have weapons. I get Ridley's leaving. You know, I'm not too sure where he's going to go. Fingers crossed that it's the Patriots. But <laughs> I understand that Ridley's leaving. You still have Kyle Pitts. Like, you didn't just draft prospect. one of the greatest tight end prospects in recent history. For no reason. So I definitely think, you know, Matt Ryan is getting older. I'm never, I've never been the biggest Matty Ice guy. Even when he won the MVP, I was like, all right, whatever, you know. But Matty Ice is good for one more season. Yeah. I don't think Matty Ice is, you know, it's inevitable that he's going to end his career in Atlanta. I don't really see another NFL team chasing Matt Ryan. You know, I get he has this illustrious career, but. Couldn't win the big one, so I'm not chasing Matt Ryan personally if I'm an NFL coach. So it's not bad if Atlanta wants to go ahead and select a guy like Matt Corral and let him sit for maybe six games, maybe a year, come in and just take over the helm. Yeah, and it's crazy. So when we talk about Kenny Pickett uh, and going to Pittsburgh, so I tweeted out probably, what, a week ago? I'm pretty sure like a week ago. And I said, I got the perfect solution for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Trade for Jimmy G in the offseason. And draft Kenny Pickett. And people would say, well, you're crazy. Why would we trade for Jimmy G and draft a quarterback? Because you do need some help on the offensive line, but I think you could get that in the later rounds. I don't think Jimmy G is going to cost you a first round. San Francisco is going to have to move him unless they win the Super Bowl. Then that conversation becomes different. I think anything I don't like they have to win the Super Bowl. If they win this, if they, if they win Saturday, we may be having a totally different conversation come, uh, Come the offseason. And I think that conversation gets sticky only because, like, they put themselves – I'm like, you know, it's conversation, but Kyle Shanahan put himself in a sticky predicament by getting Trey Lance in the first place because anything short of a Super Bowl, you believe Trey Lance can get you farther yeah. than Jimmy G when you draft him. You believe he's the difference, and you skipped out on drafting elite talent. You skipped out on Micah Parsons, Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Peeney Sewell. 
Like, you traded up to go get this guy. So I think anything short of a Super Bowl, you have to trade Jimmy G. And so I think Pittsburgh, they can even trade for him third-round pick, maybe second at the worst, stopgap quarterback. If he plays really well, but we kind of know what Jimmy G is, he's not that elite guy that just you're winning games because of Jimmy G's performance, but he's also not going to lose you games. But then you get a Kenny Pickett who's going to sit behind a winner and Jimmy Garoppolo has played in winning systems in, in New England and has played in San Francisco. He's played for winning coaches. He's played for coaches that that different two different types of systems, but coaches that can get to the big game. You know, Kyle Shanahan got there as an offensive coordinator and as a, a head coach. Didn't win the big game, but knows what it's like playing in the playoffs and know what they're asking for from a quarterback. And I think if he goes to if Pickett goes to Pittsburgh, Mike Tomlin, multiple Super Bowls. Highly successful, never had a losing season. He knows what he's going to need when he moves on from Jimmy G. It won't cost him that much. I think that would be the perfect solution for A, Pickett, and B, Pittsburgh as a whole. Because if Jimmy G gets hurt, which is very liable, it's crazy that he wasn't fragile this year, but that's a very liable possibility, then you do have Kenny Pickett for the rest of the season, and I think that could be good. And like you said, he's already played in that weather. Uh, obviously, moving up to the big leagues is different. Playing when those terrible towels are swinging, the balls There's are a, a bit bigger. The football's a bit yeah, bigger. I mean, that's, balls that's are a little bit too. bigger. So I, I get the whole, you know, the small hands, but I think that would be for Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh. That would be the perfect situation. Just trade for Jimmy G, or I, I wouldn't say Kirk Cousins because if you trade for Kirk Cousins, you're not drafting a quarterback because you don't plan on moving on from Kirk in a year. No matter, pretty much, this guy would have to be Peyton Manning ask for you to move on from Kirk Cousins after year one, his price tag, I think for trading him is going to be a little higher, but I think that's what the Steelers should do. So I want to move on. And before we close out, I want to catch these last small school guys, because this was what I know Alec was excited to talk about one of these guys. And he also has a guy from Kent state that we'll get into and Carson strong. So first both of y'all have these two quarterbacks in your top 10, Carson strong and Caleb Ellaby. Alec, I'll start with you because I know this is what this is the bread and butter for you mentioning Caleb Ellaby with these two guys because they come from Nevada and they come from Western Michigan. It's a big deal. We talked about small school guys and not fading off of them. And both of y'all have both of these guys in your top 10. So what are your thought process? I'll let you start with Ellaby, but Ellaby and Carson Strong, give me what you're thinking when you watch them play football. So, I mean, right off the bat, Ellaby, he's another one of those guys. He's a grinder. He's been through the ringer. He went at Juco, came from Juco to Western Michigan. That's already that's a hell of a story. I love guys that will sit there and grind. Um, we look at his yards, man. He went from a 1,700-yard quarterback to doubling it his final year, 3,277 yards. He threw 23 touchdowns and six interceptions. That's in 13 games. Now, he's going to be another one of those guys where they're going to look and be like, well, let's take a look at the talent level played against but this is a guy that played against Michigan a hell of a game against Michigan I know they lost but Ellaby you know he's a grinder he's not one of those guys that's gonna give you this body language that just is defeated or he's moping on the field he doesn't care what the score is like I think they were down I, I want to say it was like 41 to 7 and he's still out there throwing touchdowns running down the field trying to stretch the field that's a quarterback that you want to have on your team. That's a guy that's going to grind. That's a guy, you know, we look at, we look at a lot of quarterbacks now, you know, I hate doing this, but Kyler Murray is one of those guys who's horrible with body language. Horrible. Yeah. Like, I don't know if it's because he's just too, he got too spoiled coming out of Texas, coming out of OU, but every time the Cardinals are down, 
So are Kyler's shoulders. He's just immediately he's pissed. He's acting like you know, he's acting like a princess on the sidelines. And I hate seeing that as an OU guy. But body language is something that I felt like, at least in this year's draft, I was going to take a look at a lot more. Ellaby is one of those guys, you know, didn't play with the best talent, but he made work with what he does. Quick release, he's an accurate quarterback. Grit and grind, that's a new trait that I have. Grit and grind quarterback. He does not care who's in front of him. He's another one of those guys that's just going to bring it. He does, you know, I really like what Ellaby does. He's a mobile passer. He does have a little bit of mobility in the legs. He's another one of those guys kind of like Matt Corral, where a lot of people were going to be like, oh, well, you know, he could be a dual threat. But I really wouldn't be comfortable with Ellaby as a dual threat. He's not an ideal, you know, day one, day two kind of guy. I understand that he's going to slip through the cracks, go day three, maybe even go unsigned. But he's going to be a hell of a backup quarterback to have. You know, teams like, you know, Philly's one of the spots, I think, where he would fit very well. They have Jalen Hurts. I understand that not every Philadelphia fan loves Jalen Hurts the way Jalen Hurts, so I don't either. They have, you know, and they have been, you know, like let's get rid of Jalen Hurts, you know, like bust whatever. He just took you to the playoffs. He just took you to the playoffs. Like I get that you guys don't play the best competition. You guys play the Giants. You guys play the Cowboys. You guys play the uh, Washington Football Team two times a year. He would be a nice backup quarterback in Philly. I think he would, especially fit. if they're in the market. I, and I yeah, think, especially because, if they're in the market for a backup, and you don't have to change your offense much. Like when he comes in, mm-hmm. he's no Jalen Hurts on his feet, but you still don't have to change it much. He's enough of a threat. Yeah, you don't like what we saw with with Baltimore when Lamar Jackson came out. You had Tyler Huntley. They didn't have to change the way they ran their offense. Is he Lamar Jackson with his feet? No, he's not, but we still can continue to run the same offense, which means the rest of our players, Devontae Smith. Jalen Rager, whatever we feel about him. And even when I'm looking at Philly, they got three first-round picks. So as much as you love or hate Jalen Hurts, don't pull the trigger on sending all three of those first-round picks for Deshaun Watson because, yes, he will be the best quarterback in the NFC East the minute he touches down and gets off that in Philly. But you're missing the talent around them, and a lot of their guys are older. Jason Kelsey's getting older. Fletcher Cox is getting older. Darius Slay ain't got but maybe one or two more elite years ahead before he becomes that aging corner that could do a little bit, but he can't be your lockdown corner. So you look at the rest of their talent on their team, and like this three first-round picks, make this the year that you really find out whether Jalen Hurts is your guy or not with three Mm first-round picks. Going into next year with a very, very elite quarterback class. I mean, I think we're all three in love with that quarterback class. So before I go to Stu, just give me some thoughts on Carson Strong. Carson Strong, one of my favorite quarterbacks. I have him at number three. I'm very, very high on Carson Strong. I think strongest arm in this draft class. I think that he places the ball very well. And he has some excellent pocket presence. For a pocket passing QB, he's standing at 6'4", so seeing over the line, seeing the field isn't an issue with him. Now, yes, he has no mobility. He's another one of those guys that, you know, you're at the two-yard line, one-yard line, you can maybe run a nice little sneak. But other than that, he's not going to bring you a whole lot of mobility with the legs. But nonetheless, he throws the ball very well, 36 touchdowns, eight interceptions in his final season at Nevada. I'm very high on his receiver as well, Romeo Daubs, him and Daubs were an electric connection, I personally feel. You know, Strong finished off with 4,186 yards. That's He doubled his yards from the season before. 
any quarterback that can do that, I think you're in some serious success. I do see Carson Strong um, sitting a year, of course. You know, he's going to have to get a feel. You go from Nevada to the NFL, that's a very rapid speed change when you go yeah. from the competition in, you know, the Mount West, you go from the competition in the NFL. So I do think he's going to have to sit a year. He's gonna. He's another one of those QBs I can't really get a feel for who I think is going to select him. Now, he's number three on my board, and a lot of people aren't very high on him. I know he's been in a lot of people's at least top seven. So he's going to be a guy that moves on day three, day four. So we'll just have to see what team selects him. I know for a fact he's going to play backup for a season or two, but he can be another one of those guys that just comes in with a cannon arm when their quarterback's down for a week and just impresses the hell out of everybody. Yeah, and I think – uh, before I let you go, Stu, I think he's one of those guys that you put him in the right situation. See, certain guys like Strong, uh, Ellaby, they don't go to bad teams. A lot of times, they don't go to bad teams. Do you really think Jacksonville is looking for a backup to Trevor Lawrence going into next year? I don't think so. Maybe the Jets. Maybe the Jets are like, we're, you know what, we're going to find a guy. But they might like Mike White enough that he remains the backup over there in New York. I know, uh, I know a team that. But a bad yeah. team, I mean, the Giants are possible. Team we could go to. I mean, the the Giants are possible, but guys like that don't always go to bad teams, and that's even something to consider is that they're going in, they're going to sit the bench, uh, they're not expected to play year one. They might even go in as third string just because you don't even want to put that pressure of putting them in and unraveling their minds early. So, like, they have no intentions of playing them at all in year one, but, like, they will be the clear-cut backup competing for a starting spot if things don't go their way uh, after year one. Going into camp the next season, going into year two, they're going to have a chance to start. So that is what I like about some of these guys who they got the talent, but they're not going to go – they're not always going to go in the worst position that you could put them in. Um, So that's what I like when I look at Strong, when I look at Ellaby, when I look at Cone, when I look at you know uh, Malik Willis – he may not be a starter guy either. Like you, I would imagine you bring him in to start, but he might have the possibility of like, hey, we got a quarterback who's on his last year of his deal. If he don't ball out, you're our guy from here on out. So it's that's what I think you're getting a lot of in this year's draft is that two or three of them will probably be day one starters. And it'll be a hesitant day one starter. But the Desmond Ritters, Carson Strong, uh, you know, Ella B., Purdy, I, we don't know if he's going. Apparently, he's probably not. Cone, those aren't your day one guys. So, Stu, when you look at Ella being strong, uh, before we close out here, what what is your what is your thoughts on those two? Well, I love strong. I have him as my quarterback four. Alec had him at three. I have him one position lower at four. I mean, that's just because I simply love the other three guys a lot better. Here's the thing with strong. Quick release, biggest arm in this draft class. Aggressive with the football. To a fault sometimes, I think. And I think that's what's going to cost him, I think, is that is to a fault. I've been very critical of this guy. And, Mo, you talked about the three-year. This guy, Carson Strong, is going to, I think, fit that three-year mold. Because I think at least, at the very least, he could be a Blake Bortles type of guy. A guy who flashes the talent, shows you some stuff that you really, really love but can never really kind of put it all together because his decision-making at time, he's a little too aggressive. And I don't, you know, I don't know if that's going to translate, but you know, the reason I, I didn't adopt, I didn't come up with, but the reason I really like the three-year rule is guys like Blake Bortles 
you know, four or five years in, we're still hearing how this is the going, going to be the breakout year. You can look at three years in and tell you whether it's going to work or not. If he's starting, if Carson Strong is starting in three years, you're going to know after his third year starting. I think Strong has the, the ability, in my opinion, to, to be the guy in the NFL for, for a decade, 15 years. Like he has that ability. There's just some things he's got to work on. I, again, he's too aggressive. I think he trusts his arm too much. I do love him, and I have him at quarterback four. I mean, I, I can't be like – you can't say I don't like this guy because he's the fourth quarterback. He's in my top five. I have him above guys like Malik Willis, who Alex very high on. Mel Kuyper had him as the first quarterback off the board in his mock draft. So when you think about you know Carson Strong, I gave you some negatives. But I, I do think this is a guy who, if he goes to the right situation and he does some things, I think his arm strength benefits him. Here's the thing that people don't I, – I know I, I, I sound kind of like a broken record or maybe I'm, I'm contradicting myself because I was like, you know, I don't like arm strength sometimes. I think it's overrated, but now I'm praising it. What I do think arm strength gives you is the ability to make up for what your team may lack. And what do I mean by that? Like. I think a quick release, which he has, he gets the ball out quick. A a big arm can make up for the fact that you may not have the most talented wide receiver. And, and if you have a quick release, we've seen it with Tom Brady, you may not have the best offensive line. But if that ball is getting out of your hands, you're not getting hit. At least you're not getting sacked anyways. And that's either going to be incomplete or it's going to be a completion. And either way, you're not you're not losing yards. So I look at things like that, and I think this is a guy who – you know, if he if he landed with a good offensive coach, despite the talent that's around him, he he might be a guy you see for the next ten years to a decade. I I don't know if he's going to be a guy that tears it up and can absolutely dominate and be a a, a top ten, top fifteen guy. I don't know. Uh, his his pro comp to me was a less mobile Carson Wentz. When it was cool to actually compare people to Carson Wentz, I understand now. Like after everything that's happened this year. You know, you, that's kind of a negative, but I, I, when it was cool to compare people to Carson Wentz, I think that's what you're getting with a guy like Carson Strong. Yeah. And I definitely agree. I mean, and like you said, 70% completion percentage, that's nothing yeah. to sneeze at. Like that's essentially probably the most accurate quarterback coming into this draft. Like we said, Brock Purdy has been removed. Who was, who had the highest completion percentage uh, of these draft prospects, at least the ones of the top 10. He, he was almost at 72%. So before we close out, uh, Alec, I'm going to give you the floor. Just let everybody know where they can follow you, uh, any future projects you got going, and, and, and the floor is yours. Yeah, man. Uh, give me a follow at AlecElijah12 on Twitter. I got tons of stuff coming out. Uh, me and Rashad are actually adding football to the site very soon, hopefully within a week or two maybe. At least before the draft, I'm going to have tons of boards up. I'm going to have my first mock draft out maybe within a week or two. So we'll have to see about that. Just depending on when we get that stuff up on Sports Talk 2319, me and my guy uh, Jack got to talk about that. But other than that, uh, give me a follow, man. I'm going to have tons of stuff coming up for the draft. I got my wide receiver list still going to come out, cornerback list still going to come out. Like I said, I'm flirting with the idea of, you know, opening up the linebacker position. Um, we'll have to take a look and see. But other than that, man, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, 100%, bro. I mean, make sure y'all go follow him. Elite football content. 
You might hear me. You, you might see me on Twitter, comment every once in a while, acting like I know what I'm talking about. But this is the guy to go through uh, for draft content. Stu, let everybody know where to follow you before we close out. Uh, it's right there on the screen at StuPock5 on Twitter. Uh, you can also hit up the podcast at Stu Morning on Twitter as well. We didn't have a podcast this week, but uh, the Morning Brew will be back next week with a, with a very, very special guest, a guy who I can't wait to to have on the uh, the podcast. You guys are going to have to wait. Follow me on Twitter. I'll, I'll leave you in suspense. That way you can you can go to Twitter and, and see who that guest is. It's more of a passion project for me, shall I say. Um, next week on this show, I'll probably release it earlier in the week and then we'll dissect it on the show. I think I'm going to do the corners. Uh, I, I, I've kind of debated between receivers and corners, so it may change and may be receivers next Thursday. But as of right now, I think I'm leaning towards the corners um, coming out next week who I'm really excited about that this to me is one of the deeper positions in the league in this draft is the corner position. And so I'm excited to talk about it, but uh, that's what I got coming up. Other than that, you know, just follow us right here on the draft capital and on um, draft capital online, or, you know, go to uh, off the ball draft capital dot substack.com as well and you can see all of our stuff my quarterback rankings the articles all that stuff running back rankings receiver rankings i'll be doing rankings all year uh me and mo at some point gonna do a mock draft i've been going through a couple mock mock drafts if that makes sense but uh yeah so that's that's all i that's all i got yeah so and as always you can follow me at mo underscore cheese 15 uh on twitter instagram i got rid of the upper flames pod page um you know what I'm saying? I just, I, I had no focus over there. I post all my content on my personal page. Uh, anyway, that's where I get the interact. That's where I get the interaction. That's where everybody follows me and, and listens to the little bit of voice I have when it comes to football uh, and basketball. Make sure you subscribe to offtheballnetwork.substack.com and make sure you subscribe to draftcapitalnfl.substack.com and make sure you go check out, check the guys out over there at Sports Talk 2319. I mean, they put great work. Um, you know, some of them are hated for the work that they put in, but that's what happens when you grind and get it. People going to want to bring you down. They do amazing work over there. I've linked with plenty of guys from over there. Uh, it's nothing but love between, you know, myself, Off the Ball Network, uh, and, and Sports Talk 2319. But I appreciate everybody for tuning in, listening, and we will catch you next week, Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern.